Well, it's our plan to have a little bit of fun on our search for the truth today. You can probably get that by the picture that's behind me on this TV. I wonder if this isn't the most outrageous picture I've ever used as a sermon illustration. That is one happy donkey, is all I can say. You know, sometimes when we search for the truth, it's kind of a labor. It's hard. It's harsh. Sometimes the truth is harsh. Sometimes the truth isn't harsh. Uh, you can actually find the truth in, um, in ways that are not so painful. Today, it's one of my goals. The story begins like this. They wanted a king. Israel wanted to be like the nations that surrounded them. And all the nations that surrounded them had a king, and they did not. Israel had judges. And I want you to understand, when I say judges, it's not like we think of judges today. Somebody sits with a black robe behind a bench. No, their judges were just simply rulers that ruled with authority to judge and administer policy. But they ruled and judged under the authority of God. And they wanted kings. They wanted a king. God had given them Samuel. Samuel was a holy man. In fact, if you study the Bible, he was an incredible holy man of God. But they wanted a king. Do you think God didn't see them coming? And everything, this is the foundation of where we're going today. They wanted a king, and do you think God didn't see that coming? Do you think God one day, after they said they want a king, God says, oh my, what am I going to do now? They want a king. So let me ask the second question. Do you think Samuel saw that coming? You see, here's where we're going today. Uh, God is not an after-the-fact God. But we are after-the-fact people. Let me tell you what that means. You and I have to respond to events as they occur because I don't know particularly what events are going to occur when. So when something happens, I respond to it. And something happens, and I respond to it. And something happens, and I respond to it. Therein is the story of life. Do you think God operates that way? <laughs> See, we are after-the-fact responders. God is not an after-the-fact responder. Samuel was a holy man. He was the judge of Israel, the ruler. But his sons, the ones that were to succeed him, when he passed on, were not holy men of God. Let's start there. 1 Samuel 8.1 As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father. They're not holy men, not like their father. And notice there's three things specifically mentioned. For they were greedy for money, number one. They accepted bribes, number two, and they perverted justice. It sounds like they could run for political office today. They did all three. So do you think God, again, I'm going to ask you a question because I want to think of it. Do you think God didn't see this coming? Sometimes we think that God responds to things after the fact, but we need to understand he doesn't wait for us to mess something up like they want a king and they've got a holy man, Samuel, and then he responds after the fact. God might, listen, God might respond after the fact, but he knows everything before the fact. Yes, he saw this coming before, and here, here, here comes the hard part to understand. 
he saw this rebellion among Israel coming before it happened, and he saw it before the foundation of the earth. Whoa. He saw it before the beginning of time. So if you want to contrast the difference between us, after the fact responders, who wait till something happened and then we deal with it accordingly, don't put God in that camp. Because God sees things before they happen. Let, let me prove it to you, because this is kind of where we're going to lay the foundation today. The Apostle John records the almighty and all-knowing power of God. Now notice the almighty, all-knowing. He he's not some mighty, almost mighty, a little mighty. He's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, which means he knows everything. If he didn't know what was going to happen before it happened, he would not be all-knowing, would he? He'd be some-knowing. He's all-knowing. And he has planned everything, yes, even before Genesis chapter 1. I want to prove it to you, okay? In John chapter 17, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, and he has a conversation with his father that the apostle John writes down. Here it is, John 17, 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven, looks to the Father, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. What's going to happen? He's about to go to the cross. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now push pause. I brought glory to you on earth. Now he's 33 years old. He has walked in the, the, in the direction of God for all 33 years. He has never disobeyed. He has never rebelled. He is a perfect man. Absolute perfect man. And he says, I have brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you asked me to do. Including what he's about to do, which is to voluntarily go to the cross to die. And then he says this, next sentence. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I'm going to go to the cross and bring you glory. And I understand that when that's over, you're going to bring me, you're going to bring me into your presence. Jesus is going to ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to experience the glory of God that he had before he became a man. Now, how hard is that to understand? That he is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. He was before Genesis. He's before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Apostle Peter describes the same event, but he puts it more specific. Peter describes the price of our ransom was decided before the world began. You read it out loud during communion time. The price of your ransom, my ransom. Ransom from what? He, he ransomed me from the grave. He ransomed me from death's grip. He paid a price to get me out of death. But when did he do it? Here we go. When did he do it? Before the world began. The, the act was on the cross. When did he decide to do the act? 1 Peter 1.18 for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from this empty life you inherited from your ancestors. 
And the ransom he paid was not gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him. God the Father chose Jesus the Son as my ransom, your ransom, long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. So this decision for Jesus to be the ransom to pay off our sin debt was before the creation of the world. But he didn't reveal it until the last days. We live in the last days. It's called, we call it the church age. The time between the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ until the return of Christ. It's a tick-tock countdown to his return. Now, God saw this coming. He's not an after-the-fact God that has to respond to events and say, well, I didn't see that coming. God will never say, I didn't see that coming. You and I, every day, might say, I didn't see that coming. He will never say that. God saw it coming. What? They wanted a king. Samuel might have been caught off guard, but God was not. He never is, and he never will be caught off guard. So let's start the story. They wanted a king. Let's read about it. 1 Samuel 8, 6. Samuel was displeased with their request. They wanted a king. And he went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. So what's, going, what's God going to do? What's, what's Samuel going to do? That's how the story begins. So let me ask a question that I've asked in the two previous services to each one of you personally. So what are you going to do when everything around you, your circumstances seem to be heading in an out-of-control direction? So for Samuel, this sounded like bad news. They want a king. I can't stop them. They want a king. My sons are rotten. I can't make my sons not rotten. I can't make them not want a king. And I know God's probably not happy with the fact that they're rejecting him as king. So what's Samuel going to do? So it is a picture that illustrates that what are you going to do? What am I going to do when everything around me seems like I don't think this is the right direction? What if you were Samuel in that moment? His sons are a mess, and the people of God are a mess, and this request for a king is going to make a mess. And God seems calm, and God seems unsurprised, as if he already knew this was going to happen. <gasps> because he did. Let me repeat verse 7. God says, do everything they say to do, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be king any longer. Do everything the messed up people want to do? Why? Samuel is forced to live in an after-the-fact world. But God doesn't have to live there at all. In fact, he's never lived in an after-the-fact world. You and I live there. God does not. God has already seen the future. He saw this coming, and he's already worked it out all the way to our end, which will actually not be the end. It'll be the beginning of the beginning. He's already seen it. He's already worked it out. Can I jump ahead right now and give you some spiritual counsel? Here it comes. Get ready. Don't worry about those donkeys. 
Now, more than likely, there's very few people sitting in the room that understand what that even means, except there's a crazy picture on this TV. But listen carefully. Today's story clearly reveals don't worry about those donkeys. Let me tell you a story about a messed up people who wanted a king, and then you'll understand why I say don't worry about those donkeys. 1 Samuel 9, verse 1. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul, now here comes the star of the show. Kish has a son named Saul, a handsome boy. He has a son named Saul, the most handsome man in Israel. I don't know if they had a competition that brought that out or not. But he is the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land, Saul. One day, Kish's donkeys, Saul's daddy's donkeys, strayed away. And he told Saul, his handsome son, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shalashah and Shalem area, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zuf, and Saul said to his servant, Let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. Now, Kish from the tribe of Benjamin, one thing becomes clear. He has donkeys. What does that have to do with anything? So here we are in Anderson County, Kentucky, in February of 2017, and somebody asked me, what does Kish having donkeys have to do with us? Everything. Listen carefully. It'll mean nothing to you until you begin to understand that God doesn't live in an after-the-fact world. I'm going to use this story today to prove to you that God does not dwell in an after-the-fact world. He dwells in a before-the-world fact. He saw this coming. Kish has donkeys. And those donkeys have wandered off, and Kish tells his handsome son to go donkey hunting. Do you care? God does. It turns out that this handsome, very tall, handsome son, Saul, is not a very good donkey hunter. And it's also clear that the servant that they picked to go with him on the donkey hunt's not a very good donkey hunter either. You know why? Because they couldn't find him. Why am I telling you this story today? Because I want you to stop and think about a series of events that happened in this story. They wanted a king. Samuel's boys were rotten, unfit as judges, and they wanted a king. Samuel, a man of God, the last judge of Israel, he is upset. And as I find this story unfolding, Samuel's upset, they want a king, and God is running donkeys out of Kish's stable. Stay with me. That's what's happening. God is running donkeys out of a pen of a guy named Kish. Kish's son Saul is a terrible donkey hunter. 
And the servant that his dad sent with him is a terrible donkey hunter. And Saul is ready to go home to daddy when a surprising event occurs. Verse 6. But the servant said, I've just thought of something. Now, what's the context? They're giving up on the donkey hunt. I just thought of something. There's a man of God who lives here in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. Perhaps he can tell us where those donkeys are. He's a man of God. Everything he says comes true, so maybe he knows where the donkeys are. Now, why did the servant just think of that? They're getting ready to go home. My dad's probably more worried about me than he is donkeys. We should go home. And the servant says, wait a minute, I just thought of something. There's a man of God that lives in this town that we're in right now. Why are those donkeys lost, and why can't they find those donkeys? Then why is there a man of God living in a donkey hunting land? I have a feeling that that day seemed like an ordinary day to Kish. I have a feeling that that day seemed like an ordinary day to Saul and to Saul's servant. And they had no idea that God was actually orchestrating this entire donkey hunt event to produce an exact and a specific outcome. Is this really a donkey hunt or is this something else disguised as a donkey hunt? Let's see. Next verse, verse 7. But we don't have anything to offer him. Saul replied, even our food is gone and we don't have a thing to give him. And they're talking about giving to the man of God to let them know where the donkeys are. We don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. I want you to picture a silver piece. He's got a, a dime. He's got a dime in his pocket. I got one dime. We can at least offer it to the man of God to see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go and ask the seer. For prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lives. Now, what's their, what's their ambition at this point? We need to find these donkeys. If I give that seer a dime, maybe he can tell me your donkeys are over here. Right? That's all they're looking for is donkeys. No donkeys? They don't have any food to offer the prophet. But suddenly, the guy reaches in his pocket and he says, well, I've got one silver coin. How did that get there? All of those donkey hunt events have been orchestrated by God. Do you doubt that? That every one of these events up to now in the story have been orchestrated by God to arrange a meeting between the prophet Samuel and a donkey hunter named Saul. How many events have been worked out by God? Some of them in advance and some of them instantaneously at the moment. The donkeys are out. The right son goes donkey hunting. The servant has a silver coin and a sudden idea that there's a man of God living in this town. What's next? Do you still think this is a donkey hunt? Next verse, verse 11. As they were climbing the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, is the seer here today? Now what are they doing? They're looking for donkeys. Is the seer here? Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is at the town gates. He just arrived to take part of a public sacrifice at the place of worship. 
Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they enter the town, and as they pass through the gates, guess what happens? No, the donkeys don't show up. That's not it. Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. Now suddenly, they don't know it, but Saul on a donkey hunt is about to meet Samuel, the man of God. Now add two more events to this series of events orchestrated by God. The women that they meet on the road know that the seer is in town today. He's here. He's not just here. He's here right now. As Saul enters the city gates, Samuel is coming out toward them, going to a place of worship. Coincidence? All these are coincidences? But here's the question. Saul thinks it's an ordinary day and he's, 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 he's donkey hunting with his servant. Does Samuel know? There's a man of God in town. He's a seer. Does he know what's about to happen? Can a man of God know the future before the fact? Can a man of God know the future before the fact? Let's see. Verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day. What? He knows what's coming. The Lord had told Samuel the previous day. What did he tell him? About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How did God tell Samuel about this donkey hunting expedition the previous day if God is an after-the-fact God? He's not an after-the-fact God, is he? He's told the prophet Samuel the day before Saul arrives that he's going to arrive because God knows and sees in advance. How many different events had to happen to arrange this meeting between Saul and Samuel? But that's not my main part. That's not the main point of my sermon today. Not yet. Why? Because up till now, Saul is clueless. Only the man of God, Samuel, knows what's going on. Saul thinks what? I'm hunting donkeys. That's all he knows. But that's about to change by God doing what no man can do to or for himself. Let me say it again. All of that's about to change in a man named Saul's life. God is about to do what no man can do to or for himself. God is going to give his spirit to a man. Don't miss what's about to happen. He thought he was hunting donkeys. And God has arranged an encounter with himself so that he might impart his own spirit inside of a man. Remember, Samuel knows what's going on. But Saul still thinks what? I'm looking for donkeys and I'm growing weary at it. Here it comes, my main point for today. Verse 17. When Samuel, the prophet, Saul, Saul, the donkey hunter, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about yesterday. He will rule my people. 
Just then, Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way, and don't worry about those donkeys. You wonder where I got the title today? Don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. Now, now push pause in the story. You are Saul, and you've just walked up to a man of God. All you really came for is to try to find those stupid donkeys. And now that man of God looks at you and says, Don't worry about those donkeys. They were found. But all of Israel's hopes are in you. I just wanted donkeys. That's all I'm looking for is donkeys. Verse 21. Saul replied, But I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that small tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Why? He didn't go there to be the king. He went there to find donkeys. Who's doing this? Who's writing this story? Don't worry about those donkeys. The donkeys aren't the main point. Even though you've been chasing them and you are, you've devoted all of your energy and attention to finding them, they are not the main event. Church, can I tell you something today? Some of you are going to understand it. Some of you probably won't. Don't worry about those donkeys. The donkeys represent the distractions of life that could take you away from the main event and purpose of life if you allow them to do so. The donkeys represent the ways of God. The donkeys represent the ways of God that move us into the position to experience His divine glory, His divine plans, and eventually His Spirit. I'm going to say it again very clearly. You see, the donkeys in the story are the distractions and the trials and the difficulties and the annoyances and the busyness of life that can take you spend all of your energy dealing with the donkeys and you don't realize that God is actually using those events, those circumstances to move you into an encounter with him so that he might place his spirit inside of you. And yet, you know what my experience is for most people? who experience the donkeys? If they would say it out loud, here would be their life story. Donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. Everywhere I go, all I see is donkeys. They're all out. I can't catch them. And if I could catch them, I can't keep them in. Donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. You see, some people would tell me, in fact, they have told me, you know, I go to work and I work for a donkey. Sometimes they use another word, but I'll say donkey. And say, sometimes I come home and my wife acts like a donkey. Or sometimes I come home, the wife will tell me, I come home and my husband, he looks and acts like a donkey. And I got three kids and all three of them are donkeys. And everything in my life looks like a donkey hunt. It's all out of control. How in the world could any of this make any sense? And you can in that moment say that you are a victim of the donkeys. 
somebody turned them loose and my life is a mess. Or you can read this story and say, wait a minute, God is not an after-the-fact God. What if God was the one that turned the donkeys loose so that he could arrange a meeting between you and one who will reveal how to put the Spirit of God inside of you and look at you and say, don't worry about those donkeys. See, Saul didn't know it, and most people I meet don't know it either. Don't know what? That much of your life is spent wasting your time worrying about donkeys. It's in the midst of life's great donkey hunt that God reveals the plan. Saul is about to find out that God wants him to be a part of something bigger than donkeys. He didn't know it, but he's about to find out. I want you to notice how many things had to happen in advance up to this moment for Samuel to meet Saul. And I want you also to notice how many things are going to be announced in advance to Saul regarding the events that are to follow. What? To prove that God is not an after-the-fact God. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. Same story. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. And when you leave me today, this is Samuel the prophet looking at Saul, the former donkey hunter turned king. He says, and when you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? Now, I want you to, are, are you understanding? As you turn to walk away, some things are going to happen. And I'm going to tell you before you leave what's going to happen so that you'll know what? That God is not an after-the-fact God. He has seen this already. Saul, you have been chosen by God. You will encounter two men beside Rachel's tomb. And you haven't even left yet. But you will encounter two men beside Rachel's tomb. And they will tell you about your donkeys. Wait, there's more. Verse 3. When you get to the oak tree of Tabor, you will see three men coming towards you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats. Can you imagine? Look at the detail. One will be carrying, you're going to go to a tree. And when you pass the tree, you're going to see people going out to worship. One of the guys will be carrying three young goats. Another's going to have three loaves of bread. And the third's going to be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you. I saw and they will offer you not three loaves of bread, not one loaf of bread. They will offer you two loaves of bread, and you will take them. How do you know this? How do you know all this is going to happen to me before it happens? Three men are going to meet you at a tree at an exact time, at an exact place. Do you still think God is an after-the-fact God that responds to a circumstances after they happen? Why is God revealing this to Saul? 
Why is God telling Samuel to tell Saul this before it happens? Because God, listen, I know it's hard to grasp. I have a hard time grasping it too. But God has already seen the future. And his message from the future is this to the church. Don't worry about those donkeys. Those things that are distracting your life, keeping you tied up in knots, they're donkeys. He saw the future. Don't worry about the donkeys. Is anyone hearing me today? Because I'm going to tell you, there's an alternative. You can just leave here today and say, donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. Everywhere in my life is donkeys. Then you didn't get the message from the one who knows the future. Don't worry about the donkeys. Wait, there's more. Do you still think that God is an after-the-fact God who's desperately trying to keep up with our messes, trying to respond to us after we do something stupid? Really? That's how you see God? He's waiting for us to mess up, and then he does something to compensate for our mess up? Verse 5. It gets better. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp, tambourine, a flute, and a lyre. And they'll all be prophesying. He tells you how many of the are. He tells you what they're going to be playing, what instruments. They're going to be prophesying, tells you where it's going to happen. All before, it ever, before he ever leaves. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will powerfully come upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. And I tell you, Warren and how and the place it's going to happen you will be changed into a different person now i'm going to ask you a question can any of you in this room today possibly imagine that god's spirit the presence of god can move inside of your tent inside of your body inside of your tabernacle he moves in here and you're not a different person really you think the creator of the universe, the I am, the God who was and is and is to come, comes and moves inside of you, and you're not changed? You're the same as you used to be? Really? Do you think that's even plausible, that that's possible? Oh, yeah, I'm the same. But God moved in. You will become a different person. Verse 7. After these signs take place, do what, you must, do what must be done for God is with you there it is and you thought this was a donkey hunt after these signs take place god will be with you verse 8 then go down to gilgal ahead of me i will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings you must wait for seven days until i arrive and give you further instructions so let me do something i want to summarize what that said when you get to Gibeah, a band of prophets will meet you and they're going to be playing music. At that place and time, the Spirit of the Lord's going to come upon you and cause you to prophesy. You're going to start doing what I'm doing. Samuel's looking at Saul and says, you're going to do what I do. What? You're going to say what's going to happen before it happens. Well, if he'd have had that before, he'd have found those donkeys. You will be changed into a different person. The Spirit always does that. You will wait for seven days, and I, Samuel, will come and join you. While this advanced knowledge, while this advanced information, before Saul ever turns to walk away, why did he give him all this information in advance? 
Who but God knows and reveals the future? God reveals the future in advance so that we might know that He and He alone is the one true God. Here it comes, the real reason for the donkeys getting loose in the beginning. Verse 9. As Saul turned, so he's, he's, he's had this encounter with the man of God, Samuel. As Saul turns to walk away, God gave him a new heart. Can you do that to yourself? Can I do it to you? No. Nope. Can you do it to me? No. Nope. Can any person do it to another person? No. Nope. Only God can do what just happened. Did he come looking for a new heart? No, he came looking for donkeys. As he turned to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all, all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day when Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah. Guess what? They saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on Saul, and he too, just like Samuel told him, began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of those standing there said, Can anyone become a prophet, no matter who his father is? So that is the origin of the saying, Is even Saul a prophet? God turned the donkeys loose. I'm convinced when I read the story. God turned the donkeys loose so that Saul could get a new heart. And you thought troubles were bad news. I don't know very many people that like chasing donkeys. We had a donkey when I was a kid, and I can tell you, I hated that beast. I could never catch him, and when I did catch him, there were four boys, five years from the oldest to the youngest. I'm the second from the youngest, and we've got pictures. My parents have pictures of all four of us riding that donkey at the same time. And my memory of that donkey is if you could ever catch him, and if you could ever get on him after you caught him, those were ifs. You know what that donkey would do? He would take off as fast as he could go, and he would go to a tree and drag us off one at a time. I hated that beast. God turned the donkeys loose to give Saul a new heart. The donkey hunter became a prophet and a king while looking for donkeys. Did you catch the question of the people the people, after hearing Saul prophesy, a donkey hunter prophesy, asked, can anyone become a prophet no matter who his father is? Did you notice that? That was interesting that they would ask that question. I want to do something. I want to list the best I can, just shortly, the series of events that have been put in place in advance of this Holy Spirit anointing of Saul. And here's the reason. Most of us cannot see as it's happening what God is doing in the moment. 
I describe it like this. I can see my life's encounter with God much better through the rearview mirror than I can the windshield. If I look back, I can see that he was doing things to put me where he wanted me. And not all of those things were very pleasant. To me, it was like hunting donkeys, not a very pleasant thing. But he's working it together for something that's bigger than me. And I want you to notice how many supernatural things that only God could do took place in this one little story so that you will be able to identify your own life in this story. Here they go. There were no donkeys. They got out. When they got to looking, they ran out of food. They had no food to offer the prophet. But wait a minute. There's a small silver piece in the servant's pocket. How did that get there? There are young women coming out to draw water. Or are they coming out to confirm that, yeah, there is the seer in town today? Samuel is indeed in town that day. Guess what? Just happens to be in town on that day when they arrive. And guess what? God just so happened to tell the seer that yesterday that the donkey hunter is going to arrive tomorrow. Saul still thinks he's on a donkey hunt, but God's putting together a series of events all around him to prepare him for an encounter with a man of God, which will lead him to the Spirit of God, giving him a brand new heart. Samuel has the best seat and the best cut of meat, and he sets them aside for Saul. Why? Because he knows why he's coming. Samuel has a flask of olive oil ready. How does he have it ready? Because God is not an after-the-fact God. He's got all this worked out. There's olive oil already ready to anoint him as king. Two men are scheduled to meet Saul at Rachel's tomb to tell him that the donkeys are safely at home and Saul's father is now worried about him more than he is the donkeys. Three men will offer Saul two loaves of bread by a certain tree at Tabor. Physical, musical uh, prophets are going to approach Saul at Gibeah, and the Spirit of God is coming. And by the way, Samuel looks at Saul and says, when you finish all that, I'll see you in seven days. That's the story. Now listen, here's what I'm going to say about that story. This is one incredible donkey hunt. And the reason I say that is this. Can you say that about your life so far? Because every one of us is in God's story. And can you say, do you think that what has brought you to where you are now is coincidence? Do you think what's brought you to where you are now is just happenstance, random donkiness of life? Or is this part of God's plan? So I want to do something. I want to say for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can tell you at the age of 60, I can say this is one incredible donkey hunt. That God has used the most unusual circumstances to put me where I am today. And I acknowledge that He is not an after-the-fact God. He saw me, called me, knew me, before the foundations of the earth. And you know what he told me when I got to know who he was? Don't worry about those donkeys. Don't worry about those donkeys. 
So I'm going to ask you, can you say right now, can you, or, 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 or would you, if you would be honest today, would you really say that mostly your life is made up of donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. All I see is donkeys. Everybody around me looks like a donkey. We were at the, at the end of the first service, and I preached this sermon in the first service, and a guy, I won't mention his name, came up to me, and he said, my brother-in-law just came to me after this first service today and said, I was the donkey in his life. And he said, and sometimes he uses other words to describe it. Is, if right now, is that how you describe your journey so far in this road called life? Or, or can you now see clearly that this donkey hunt is an incredible journey? Saul followed the instructions of Samuel. After the donkey hunt, after the anointing, he followed the instructions of Samuel. And guess what? Everything Samuel said was going to happen, happened. Everything. Exactly. Exactly when, exactly where. Saul goes home, and he runs into his uncle, which is the final scene of today's donkey hunt. He finally gets back home, and he encounters his uncle. Not his dad, his uncle. And this happens, verse 14. Where have you been? Can you hear that? I, I just kind of picture somebody with their hands on their hips. Where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied. But we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel, the seer, to ask him where they were. Oh, uncle said. And what did he say? He told us that the donkeys had already been found. Saul replied, but Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel said about what? The kingdom. Why? Let me ask you a question. Would you tell anyone this story? If you were Saul in this story, would you tell anyone this story? I went to look for donkeys and I came back filled with the Holy Spirit prophesying. And by the way, I am the new king of Israel. Would you tell anybody this story? Because you, know, you know what? Most people are never going to acknowledge that this is real. No, you were on a donkey hunt, and you didn't find them, and you're a loser. Don't worry about those donkeys. My message to the church is very simple today. Don't worry about those donkeys. And you know why? All of that to wrap up with this. Listen, listen, listen. Everything I just read to you so far is from the Old Testament. So what about us today in this church age? The Bible clearly calls these the last days. If you want to ignore that, it'll be on you. It's not on me. He calls this the last days. And God comes in the last days to a man named Paul. And he puts his spirit inside of Paul. And interesting to me that that Paul's name before he became Paul was Saul. And Paul wrote a letter to a church in Rome, a Gentile church in Rome, in which he, in a whole different language, says, don't worry about those donkeys. Did you know that? Here it is. It's found in Romans 8, 28, when God, through the Holy Spirit, says this. And we know. Do you know? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. 
Did you hear me? Did you know that God causes everything to work together for good for those called, those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them? For God knew his people when, say it out loud, in advance. Do you think he's an after-the-fact God? He's responding after we mess something up. That God's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those people who are called in advance, he already saw it. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chose them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them what? He gave them what? What did he give them? His glory. Do you understand what glory is? It is himself. He is the glory. He is the life. He is light. And in him there is no darkness. And in him is life. And there is no life outside of him. And he gives his glory. And he uses everything, all the donkeys of your life, he puts them together. So what? So he can give you his glory. Or, I'm going to tell you what option B looks like. And I'm going to say the truth. Most people will live their life in option B. They walk around as a victim of circumstances that everything in my life is donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. Never realizing that every one of those circumstances could be orchestrated by God to reveal His glory that He wants to hand to you. The God that we serve is not the after-the-fact God that many people think He is. Those donkeys that you've been chasing this year can be, might be leading you to the Spirit of God if you'd quit fighting. In James chapter 1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, can I insert something? When your donkeys get out. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Most people in the church, the first time you encounter difficulty, you think, oh, God's mad at me. Something terrible. He's abandoned me. La, la. Well, donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. Why do you think something strange is happening to you? God's working all of these things together for good. He's putting together a piece of the puzzle that you and I, we think we're just out miserably hunting donkeys. And he says, no, I'm moving you into an encounter with my spirit. I want to give you my glory. Back to verse 12. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange is happening to you. Instead, what? When you're donkey hunting, when your donkeys are out, when you've got so many donkeys around you, you can't count them. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing His what? Seeing His what? His glory. When it is revealed to the world, and I'm going to tell you, He is going to reveal His glory to everyone. One day. And in John 16, Jesus says, I have told you all this, so that you may have peace 
in me. You ever had peace while you're hunting donkeys? It's hard. I've told you all this so that you'll have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have already overcome the world. Can you see it? Troubles are donkeys. And don't worry about those donkeys. God knows they're loose, and he might even been the one to open the gates. Those fiery trials that you're going through, they're donkeys. Don't worry about those donkeys. Those trials make you a partner with Christ. Donkeys are troubles, and troubles are donkeys. And God's Word today proclaims, don't worry, don't get distracted, don't use your energy on donkey chasing. God knows the donkeys are out. You don't need to call Him and say, God, the donkeys are out. He knows the donkeys are out. And He's going to work out all of that to your good if you'll quit fighting Him. Do you see it? God's working all around us. Yes, there is a spiritual war going on. Or do you just see a bunch of loose donkeys? You're supposed to find them, catch them, tame them. Right now you're overwhelmed and don't want to see another one. 1 Corinthians 2.6 Paul writes the church and says, Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. Listen carefully, church. Do you know the mystery? The mystery I speak of is what? His plan that was previously hidden. That's why it's called a mystery. Even though He made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Do you know the mystery? He wants to give you His glory. His Spirit is His glory. His Spirit is His person in you. His life. Or you can just spend your life hunting, chasing donkeys, considering yourself a victim of circumstance. The Spirit gives life and the Spirit reveals truth about this mystery. And right now, this is the truth about the mystery. Everybody listen. 1 Peter 1.18 For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. Save you from what? From this empty life you inherited from your ancestor. Adam, your ancestor, gave you death. Jesus came to save you and pay a ransom to get you out of death. It's called the resurrection. And the ransom he paid was more, not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Do you know the mystery? That's it. That's it. God wants you to go from a donkey hunter to a spirit-filled child of God. He doesn't want to make you king like he did Saul. No. He wants you to submit your life to the king of kings and receive his Holy Spirit, which is his glory. The Holy Spirit then says, 
to everyone, don't worry about those donkeys. This is what it means to go from a life that is after the fact because I can only respond like the donkeys are out to go into a life that is led by God who already knows what's going to happen before the, donkeys get, get, before the donkeys get out. And he's working everything together for my good because he's called me, what? To experience his glory. A mystery that was one day hidden has now been revealed through the Son that even before the world began was appointed as the ransom for your life to pay off what was going to mean your death. Finally, Hebrews 6.18. So God has given both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. I know what's coming, and it's not donkeys. We can hold to the hope of what comes before us, what lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. What? This hope leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary, into His glory. It's the mystery that has been unveiled in the last days. Jesus paid the ransom for your sin. And if you turn away from Him, you refuse the glory. You refuse the life. You refuse. And you, and you become a victim of circumstances at your own will. So today we're going to sing a song, an invitation song. And today I want you to understand that God is not an after-the-fact God. He called you, He's called us to come and receive His glory. And today we're not victims of circumstances. Whatever has happened in your life up to this point, He wants to use it for His glory and for your good. And He wants to put those pieces together and bring you to a place where you'll encounter the glory of the Spirit but he won't make you turn to him. He'll offer you an invitation. That invitation might be this one right here. Let's stand. It's in the eye of the storm You remain in control 